Hello, welcome to the Co-Design in Publics podcast, a space where we bring together activists, practitioners, and academics to examine and discuss design ideas on the public realm. My name is Juan Subillaga. My name is Asim Inam. And we are your hosts for this episode. So today we have our fantastic team of scholars joining us. We have Charlotte Lemansky, reader in urban geography at the University of Cambridge, Melanie Lombard, lecturer in the Department of Urban Studies and Planning at the University of Sheffield, Abdul Malik Simon, professorial fellow at the Urban Institute at the University of Sheffield, Neha Sami, researcher from the Indian Institute of Human Settlements, Simon Springer, professor of human geography at the University of Newcastle in Australia, and Fernando Luis Lara, professor at the University of Texas in Austin. So perhaps to start then, we can start with the first question. What is the difference between public space and public realm? Why is this difference important for understanding the nature of contemporary cities and for designing their equitable future? I'm happy to have a start. I guess, you know, when I think about public space, it's inherently perceived, rightly or wrongly, as the kind of the material, the tangible spaces of the city where people can gather for formal meetings, for informal meetings, to protest, to socialise, to organise. But the public realm is in one sense much less tangible. It exists at multiple scales and multiple dimensions. It's found in the discourse of the state claiming to represent the public interests, but it's also found in the multiple and the conflicting ways in which citizens perceive and practice their citizenship identity. I guess what's important for me and for my research when thinking about the public realm is that there is no singular public. It doesn't exist. There are multiple publics which often conflict and overlap with one another. Now, in one sense, this makes it really difficult to design an equitable city where all publics are equally valued. But at the same time, it's, it's equally complex and problematic to naively and erroneously assume that there is such thing as a singular public realm that could ever be planned for. So I guess to bring my contribution to an end, I kind of suggest flipping it to talk about the publics when we're thinking about the public realm. I don't know how others feel about that. I could follow on briefly from that, because I think one of the ways that I've been thinking about this and trying to kind of bring it into focus a bit is around contestation and complicating factors in public space that actually then allow us perhaps a view of the public realm beyond the immediate material public space. So I guess processes like exclusion, whether that's de facto um, or de jure, um, exclusion on the basis of property ownership or land ownership, um, or exclusion on the basis of membership of a specific marginalised group. If I think about the context of Latin American cities, that might be membership of an indigenous group. It might be um, membership of you know, a group of informal vendors, for example. Other processes, I think, that might kind of help to bring this into focus are those of privatization or securitization of urban space. And I think all of these processes allow us to understand beyond just the immediate material public space, actually what forces and influences from the public realm are perhaps being brought to bear on the spaces that we see before us. When I think about public space and public realm, I think about a major issue that concerns my recent scholarship, which is abstraction and empathy or relational knowledge. Architecture and urban design and planning 
were disciplines that were developed in the 16th and 17th century when a process of abstraction detached people from their spaces so that spaces could be controlled, colonized, sold, exploited. Many of the issues that we have today as uh, our most urgent problems like inequalities, spatial inequalities, or climate change and over-exploitation of resources come from that basic separation. In the Western tradition, we call it the Cartesian separation after René Descartes. The separation between mind and body, between reason and emotion. So, public space is basically the result of that abstraction. It's the result of those geometries, are the materiality and the shapes and the form of the spaces that should be shared by many of us in our cities. Now, public realm is public space plus emotion, plus relational knowledge, plus our relationship with those spaces. So public realm is about the discourse, public realm is about the conversations we have, public realm is about attitude. How do you walk? What do you do in the public spaces? How do you present your body to in that public space? So to me, public realm is the antidote for a certain overdoses of abstraction that the capitalist system has imposed on us. I think that to me, the critical or the key difference is one of scale. I tend to think of public space as being sort of subsumed within or part of the larger public realm. I think we often tend to conflate these two concepts and think of public space as the manifestation of the public realm. But to me, I think public space is spatially bounded, as the name suggests, sometimes formally with walls, boundaries, gates. I mean, public parks are a, are a good example, public squares, and sometimes informally defined. So market spaces would be one example of that. But to me, the idea of the public realm is just a broader notion that encapsulates not only physical space, but also processes, movements, collectives, communities, policies, as well as thinking about the, the people, the individual actors and the institutions that make these things happen, that, that, that govern these, these ideas, these notions. And so to me, actually, uh, the more interesting thing is to think about not really what the difference is between the two, because I think that in some ways, I think of the public realm as being sort of this larger category within which public, so physical public space, but also a whole range of other notions of what constitutes the public is sort of subsumed. But actually to think a little bit about what the relationship is between these two, how do they influence each other? How does one inform the creation or the development of the, the other? And I, I, I don't mean to suggest at all that the public realm is sort of this mega kind of umbrella structure within which, you know, so it's not hierarchical necessarily, but I do think of it as something that is a broader concept, a broader idea within which the notion of physical public space can actually be, be subsumed. I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't really know the difference, but I suppose that it has to do some, somewhat with different genealogies of enclosure and what, what can be enclosed and under what circumstances and where does the, the ideas of certain sense of self-sufficiency come from that would that one could think that what is, in, what is enclosed could somehow exist on its own, you know, in terms of private property, the family, the self, I mean, what are what are understandings about what it means to be 
enclosed because materially it seems that enclosure is a is a kind of impossibility and in order to sustain the kind of illusion of a certain kind of autonomous functioning or self-sufficiency that one has to create particular kinds of imaginations uh, signifying systems that enable something to stand alone where materially it couldn't couldn't do so so I think that you know the whole notion of the public really depends upon understanding what it means to enclose and to bound. Uh, well, I think like all of you, I'm very much interested in this mutually enriching and overlapping relationship between theory, research, and practice. And sometimes I try to start uh, having practiced as in the past, what I would now call, I know my friends don't like this phrase, but as a conventional urban designer, sort of in a design office and understanding that whole sort of dominant in most parts of the world, a way of designing cities, which is sort of still very much top down, very much about uh, key actors like planning agencies, but really it's more the pri- much more the private sector uh, developers, uh, urban designers. And I try to understand what I call that kind of in practice mainstream view, which is very spatially grounded, which is about form. And unfortunately, now in terms of public space, there's a kind of see a return to environmental determinism that if you create certain kinds of spaces that will create social cohesion, so so called. And it's really fascinating how that has been debunked many times before. But so the intentions are good, sort of these phrases you hear of like, from Jan Gell's office, who's a big hero in the uh, world of practice. And he has contributions about cities for people, you know, which is a nice sounding phrase, but which people for whom. So I try to understand this sort of the speciality, the geography, the materiality of the space. Why does it still matter? I think it still matters. That's how most people experience the city. When people say public space, automatically there's some prefixed idea of what it is. I like sort of problematizing that. And my first understanding of public land was it's spatially, it's interconnected spatial network. So not just a defined and bounded park, plaza, street, but spatially it's sort of much more ambiguous, interconnected, but also as a way of introducing issues of time, processes over time, how even if it's spatially grounded, how it occurs. And then the third is about governance, you know, about control, about power, about who controls it, who has the resources, who decides what can happen there or not. So it's kind of this confluence of factors, which I think are quite interesting, but it's sort of interesting when I discuss public realm with a lot of colleagues and practitioners, the default is, oh, you mean public space, because that's something tangible. I think there's something to be said not to ignore that materiality, but to problematize it, make it more complex, make it richer. Yeah, I would follow up on that. And just to go back to uh, where Charlotte started from, I mean, early in my career, I argued that public space was always material while the public sphere or the public realm was something much more expansive. But I'm actually no, I'm not so sure uh, about that distinction anymore. And I think there's room to problematize it. So we could come up with a taxonomy where we have public space on the one hand and and public realm on the other, but I'm not sure that insisting on their separation is all that helpful since space as a concept is always much more than its material conditions or, or consequences. So, I mean, if we think of, which is what most geographers are doing now, thinking of space as emotive and processual and embodied and diffuse and amorphous, so all these sort of characteristics all at once, 
the, the idea of materiality and that being the, the sole domain of, of public space, it, no, it just doesn't hold the same kind of consequence for me that it once did. So I guess now I'm, I'm more interested in the idea of maybe immaterial geographies and the immaterial geographies of cities, thinking about the ways in which that, that they are imagined and reimagined in a constant state of a constant state of flux, a constant state of change where new materialities are, are necessarily being called into being or wiped from existence. So there's this, you know, ephemeral nature, I suppose, to, to how public space is constituted. And I, I guess if we accept that any sort of uh, sense of materiality is, is really just a, a projection of our own cultural conditioning or the limitations of our own worldviews, then it becomes less consequential to think, you know, in terms of just the materiality. And I guess the, the notion of a public realm better captures this idea than, you know, that older notion of public space being just the material. So for me, it's just, it's increasingly difficult to tease these two ideas apart because of the, I suppose, the way that geography has shifted over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I agree. And also it is becoming more contested. I guess what I'm on the one hand, yeah, there's great work that all of you and others are doing on this. And part of me is still grappling with, so where is materiality in all this? Not to go back to some old-fashioned notion. And so in this very ephemeral, like you said, contested, uh, very much in flux, where there's sort of power relations embedded in all this, I think there's always power relations embedded in all this, never sort of neutral. How does, how can we look at materiality in a new way? And what I come back to is the experience of the place, the materiality matters, the everyday experience of how, even if it's embedded, even if it's very much in flux. But the other thing is, how do we talk about it? And sometimes I think uh, maybe sometimes we are, or I can say I'm in a hurry to kind of codify things so we can talk about it. And so uh, there might be a tendency sometimes to take shortcuts, which is not really beneficial, especially when I speak with my design colleagues and design students, but to be in the space and problematize it and just be with it and grapple with it and try things out. So that's one of the things I love about teaching in studios. We try things out, out how do we talk about this? And of course, my students are very puzzled. You mean, this is urban design? I said, yeah, this is urban design, but should we be making models? I guess what I'm saying kind of, which is what sort of what we are doing in this in this project together is what are the kind of vocabularies, whether it's uh, visual or verbal or written vocabularies that will help us deal with this very complex issue, which is not easy to define and codify. I mean, there are different ways of doing it. And I find that very interesting. And I, I really find that, you know, that having these conversations, I think would really help. And then, of course, with our colleagues in, you know, in Cali and Sao Paulo and Cape Town and Bengaluru and Phnom Penh and Jakarta, telling us about what they work and trying to make some connections, not necessarily trying to pigeonhole them about what they're doing and how this might help shed light on these issues we are grappling. I find that very fascinating. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when we release a new episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at CodesignPublix or Instagram at CodesigningPublix. This podcast is part of the Codesigning Publix Research Network, a project funded by the UK Arts and Humanities Research Council and hosted at Cardiff University.